Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. All right, Second Captains listeners, we're all friends here. I feel like I can be honest with you guys. I did something last night that I'm not proud of, but it happened... I need to get it off my chest. Murph, Ken, come on in. You can be part of this cleansing too. We're come here for you, Owen. What, what we happened? here for you again. Yeah, yeah. I can. <laughs> Owen, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm, I'm all, well, I'm great. I'm too good. That's the problem. I'm fresh as a daisy the morning after the Super Bowl because for the first time in I don't know how long, I did not stay up to watch it. I know. You put hard times I know. I just, on this I country. got to around half 10, quarter to 11. Did the math, as the Americans say. Figured we're still an hour from kickoff. Thing goes on for about four hours. Ain't no way! What would Declan Rice do, I thought to myself. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. What time do you go to bed? Usually. Yeah. Half 10, 11. Not too bad. Nah. So yeah, like Declan Rice, I too am a night owl. Mm. Yeah, just a night owl who also likes to be tucked up in bed by <laughs> half ten, eleven, and wow. then get up early to watch yeah. the highlights the next morning. What did I miss? You two got together for a fun night, bonding, Murph and Ken bonding. Uh, I'll let Ken take the lead. Ken, did you have a good evening? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. It was a bit annoying to have to watch it on the BBC though, because I was looking forward to watching all the crypto ads. <laughs> but I've seen some of them now, and I, I'm like, I mean. Okay, I've only I've only seen like one like short clip of like the top five, but like Larry David, seriously, do you not have enough money? Matthew McConaughey, really? What? Like, are you people not rich enough? Like, without getting involved? Oh my god, unbelievable! Uh, it seems like the entire thing was just one massive like uh, crypto and crypto mm. exchange uh, <laughs> marketing push. So uh, that's I'm sure that's not a morbid symptom or anything. Rams popular winners, Murph. Ah, oh, not really, Owen. Um, <laughs> no, no, we were, we were. I wanted them to win. I wanted them to win. After, that's after only because you're a contrarian. I was pulling no. hard for the for my Bengals. No, no. After the the cheating um, Bengals uh, tried to break the guy's neck and scored a touchdown as a result. Oh yeah, you took again them there. Well, that. after that, I just thought, well, that's not that's not the football I believe in. <laughs> you, you know the one. You know the, one, yes, the bit I'm talking about. Are so, you talking about the one where he, where he grabbed the face mask? Is that the one? Yes. He, gra- he grabbed yeah. the guy's. Tried, he tried, tried to, ring, to break his neck. He tried to little, ring the guy's neck. Mm-hmm. And you, you're saying that's fine. I love the fact that everybody is shouting blue murder about the fact that the Bengals were the victims of an unjust decision. Um, the holding call near the mm. end defensive holding but you're you're sticking by that one although I do agree with you I actually did think that I was surprised well, that was, one wasn't it was, it was, it was incredible I mean it was so it was so blatant and I'm, I'm kind of like well what's the you know what's the ex- obviously this is going to be real I mean you, when you saw the guy run through he didn't even celebrate mm. the, the Bengals the well the, the well known establishment team you know they just they've, they've just won so much over the years when that you saw the guy when you saw the guy run through he did did he or did he not celebrate on he he grabbed the guys he, he grabbed the guys helmet is that or is that not an illegal move it is I agree so and then he ran through, and he knew that he was going to be called and needed to move, and then the thing wouldn't stand, and they would have to go back. But then they just they just waved it through, and I thought at that point, no, nah, I'm, I'm I'm not, no. Mm. You know, if this, this is I'm, how you I'm, want to win, you can have your poison cup. I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with this. And and um, and from that point, I was I was in the Rams uh, corner, and they uh, <laughs> and they did the business. 
US Murph coming up on the World Service during the week. We'll also have two football shows on the World Service. That's two football pods on top of the one going out to everybody today. There's also our Sonny Bill Williams interview to hear from last week if you want to sign up for that. Secondcaptains.com, five euro a month plus VAT is all it costs. A quick reminder that tickets are on sale now for the big night in April, the making of Where Is George Gibney? It's going to be April 20th, National Concert Hall in Dublin. It's a special one-off event celebrating the podcast series with all proceeds going to One in Four, which is a brilliant charity that provides professional counselling to adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. They helped a lot of people affected by the series, so we, we'd love to help them now, and this is a way to do it. The night is going to feature Mark Horgan and Karen Cassidy, as well as key players in the series like Trish Carney, Gary O'Toole, and Johnny Watterson. It'll be hosted by Sinead O'Carroll. We'll be there too. We'd love to see you there. Tickets are available now on NC ch.ie or secondcaptains.com once again those tickets are on sale right now so you can get your hands on mm. them straight away and they're going fast by all accounts on and it's all for a really good cause as well later in this podcast we're going to bring you the insanely dramatic endings to the all Ireland club finals both the football and the hurling were won with last minute goals with the teams yeah, unbelievable that's the reaction unbelievable. if you for. were if you were double screening on Saturday you were richly rewarded for your dedication but from now until then it's Six Nations Shane Horgan Andrew Trimble and the former Scotland International now based in France Johnny Beatty on the show today Ireland's Grand Slam dream may be over but we're not the only ones you know, I had a huge amount of belief within the boys um, to come down here and win Stuart Hawk turns up to a winning the bloody world I love it Stuart Hawk I believed in the boys ability Man of the <laughs> Scotland are a disgrace to work for <laughs> lads it's Scotland play the bit <laughs> You know, I had a huge amount of belief within the boys um, to come down here and win. Stuart Hawk turns up to a fucking <laughs> winning the bloody World Cup. I love it. Stuart Hawk. I believed in the boys' ability. Man of the <laughs> Scotland are a disgrace to work for. <laughs> That's it, Murph. That's all you're giving. Post Super I mean, Bowl, you're, 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 you're giving. <laughs> no, pe- people are odd to me. Like, I-, I tweeted something at the end of the Scotland game. And people were like, oh, you weren't quite confident enough to say it during the game, were you? I was like, bro. Uh, I said it last Monday. Bro. I said losing Bro. losing you're, bonus you're spending, points. You're spending too much time hanging out with Sonny Bale there, Murph, but continue. Last Monday, I called it. I mean, mm. it, it's, it, it doesn't take a genius, you know? Uh, was this not blatantly obvious? Until they show you different, Owen, lads, it's Scotland, <laughs> will always be my final word on the matter. Let's talk France-Ireland. Back to Campbell, back to Duggan, McLaughlin going for that line, and Ireland are in and over. Simon, how are you feeling about things after Saturday in Paris? Uh, I don't know, really strange game to look back on, and a conflicted feeling in that we could have been blown away 30-40 nil or 30-40 points to seven, because at 22 points to seven, and Ireland just making so many errors and not in the game at all, and France dominating it tactically and physically, it was only going one way. So for then us to be in the fight, that felt like a triumph in itself. But then when we're in the fight, we then kind of lost our clarity of thinking again. And it was a strange performance. Like we did really well to be in the game, but didn't actually play very well over the 80 minutes. Because I watched it back and it was sort of long passages of France working us out of the breakdown, loads of turnovers, them kicking penalties, Forced and unforced errors from Ireland, you know, some skill errors. Uh, Caelan Doris had a poor game, his worst game for Ireland, for example. Um, and then some decision-making errors, but then just occasional little moments of brilliance. Obviously, the Mack Hansen try, uh, the Gibson Park try, and even the Mall try from van der Fleer. That was kind of a moment mm. of opportunism. But then clouded by, or just in the general play was all France, France, France. But the encouraging thing was, I thought as the second half went on, Carberry in particular and Gibson Park's performance improved, but the two of them start to figure out where we need to get the ball to for a little bit of space. And suddenly Gary Ringrose, who had been completely absent, started to look really dangerous. I thought we should have just kept doing that. He kept stepping inside, making yards back up the middle. And just as we start to figure that out, that was when we got the penalty decision into the corner 
that we went for the points when we were six points up. And it just felt like we finally had France, not just physically, but tactically worked out. And Carberry was finally looking relaxed. And then we took our foot off the pedal. It was a really, felt like a pivotal moment, not just the decision there, but the, the previous sort of five minutes up to that Ireland finally looked relaxed. They looked kind of calm mm. within, within themselves. Simon, it seemed to me that the second we stopped kicking the ball, we started to make inroads in the game. Yes. Is, was that just way too simplistic uh, a view? I mean, it's not the whole picture, but... I felt like we were we were under so much pressure in our own heads. It wasn't just that they were flooding the breakdown and obviously getting a lot of breakdowns, getting a lot of penalties out of those breakdowns. But it was also just our own brains, our own reaction speeds to things. Like if you think of, say, the Bundiaki pass that wasn't on in the first half, I think it was to one of the back rows just outside him. It was clearly a French defender right on the person he was passing to. And that was a moment you felt against Wales he would have just carried it and carried it like quite well, two, three yards, and then we have a nice breakdown and fastball for Gibson Park. But there was quite a few moments like that where the sure there was French pressure, but also it was more like the pressure was in our, our own heads. And so we were kicking away thinking, we don't have the options here, they're all over us. And just that general sense of panic, maybe caused by the DuPont try. I mean, that's one of the worst get- ways you can start a game. So mm-hmm. Ireland were on the back foot from the start, but Gibson Park Gibson Park twice kicked the ball away in really good attacking positions. They were just like dribbly balls through into the 22 that the French dealt with. Jack Cohn kicked a beautiful ball away on the wing as well. And just generally our kicking game besides Carberry was pretty poor. Yeah, and there was, but there was also times where you know we were getting ball off the line out, and you know hitting a box kick, you know, and you're just mm. or, or like a a, bo- a box kick that was like supposed to land on the twenty two that lands beyond the twenty two. Yeah, just like what was the point of that? Like that was a pre planned call. Like you can't say that was French pressure. That was just a reversion to a game plan that we I thought we'd thrown in the bin. You know, and that maybe, was... maybe maybe they thought they thought Mark Hansen could keep just running along and and catching <laughs> yeah, balls yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. like he did for the try. Yeah, but say say after the Gibson Park try. The very next play, the French kick it relatively deep to us and Gibson Park kicks a short, high box kick that went into touch. I think it went into touch. But it basically, anyway, it brought the pressure right back on Ireland. It was a French line out. And I'm pretty sure they scored soon after that. And if you think of the very opening of the game, it was a Gibson Park relatively short box kick that went into touch that DuPont took quickly. So there's a lack of distance on those kicks and they're not staying in and we're not challenging them so our defensive line isn't up but then Murray came on and didn't kick particularly well either Gibson Park passed poorly as well he came into the game in the second half but when you think how well Carberry played like he wasn't perfect by any means but when you think inside him I thought Gibson Park and Murray both had relatively poor games and Bundy didn't have a great game either and the whole back row got totally outmatched by the French and yet Carberry still managed to keep his head I thought that was one of the real positive points out of the whole game that Carberry managed while others around him were struggling he looked very calm Shane Horgan how are we this week? Oh a bit of the <laughs> bit of the sheen has gone off this Six Nations all of a sudden oh come on there's, uh, a, no. there's a championship sale yeah, yeah. as long as Scotland got beat or because Ireland got beat actually I, I feel bad about that as well it's like well Scotland come on will you it was there it was there you've messed up this championship and uh, and so have we but um, there's still lots there's going to be um, twists and turns although oh, France France uh, look very physical and I think that might be enough for them well we've got wheels are going to do here as well wheels are going to yeah. win the Six Nations in the end <laughs> yeah. there you go that's Andrew Trimble's prediction Johnny Beattie how are you keeping yeah, good, thanks. Enjoyed the game maybe a little more than you boys did as a neutral. I was in Paris at the weekend as well for the game. Uh, but no, still down here in the south of France. Enjoyed the game in Paris the weekend. And yeah, it's been an enthralling tournament so far, so enjoying it. Shame. You haven't mentioned the, the Scottish result. <laughs> Have you just abandoned ship entirely? We'll Are you now a we'll Frenchman? All right. You're on here. Irish focused podcast. No, I'm waiting for that to come. This is a Six Nations focused podcast. Yeah. We're, we're weirdly nearly more obsessed by Scotland these days than we are by Ireland. But uh, Shane, your oh. initial reaction on TV was uh, like it is now. You were pretty. Um, well, you basically felt it was an opportunity blown. That's still how you're feeling a couple of days later. Yeah. And, and it is. Um, and that's not to say um, that Ireland didn't very do very well to you know put themselves in that position, but they didn't have a perfect performance at all. France didn't have a perfect performance, and they did weather that um, a massive physical uh, threat and scored two tries in Paris. You know, sorry, was it three tries? Three, three, three tries three, in yeah, Paris. Yeah, you know, two, three tries in Paris. Two. Like uh, you know, fantastic. But if you look at the history of Ireland in France or almost any team in France um, 
to you know to win over there it almost has to be a, an extraordinary performance and you have to do extraordinary things to win and that has been certainly Ireland's history there and uh, within that there is you're afforded you know very few opportunities to win in France I never won in France for example um, there's a couple of times that maybe I think we should have but we didn't and we didn't take it and I regret that and these players will regret this as well because not only is it uh, was there a, a really good opportunity despite them not playing at their best um, to beat France? You know there was the connotations with um, you know the, the the Grand Slam as well. So you know they don't come around very often. We know. Um, so you know, my disappointment uh, must be a fraction of what's uh, what the disappointment it is for the players. Andrew, why did we lose that game? Do you think? Uh, it, it just looked like a dramatically completely different uh, type of performance our, our phase play was nowhere near as sharp or as accurate as, as it has been all the way through November and then all last week against Wheels as well um, and uh, but Shaggy I'm just what you're saying I'm, I'm just torn because the the upside is we put no we put nothing together and we still could have won that game and it was nowhere near as good as we could have been and then the downside is, well, as soon as we start playing against a, a team that defend that way or is anywhere near as aggressive as, as Sean Edwards has got that French defense, then it wasn't even it wasn't even the collisions. No one got blindsided that much. Like we lost a few collisions, yes, but it was almost the anticipation of the, the defenders coming. It just looked like we were rattled. It. it looked like we could we, we just we didn't get uh, I don't know. Just, we were totally irrational. Because we were just expecting all the like all this intensity from this defense, and then our passing was nowhere near. Very, very few like perfect, crisp, accurate passes. Like that's been the hallmark of this um, this Irish phase play. So it just looked like France just got in our heads. It was less about the defense and the anticipation of the defense. Like, it just rattled uh, us. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, can't, I I agree and I disagree in that. I do think the defense was much more physical than it has been. Um, we get away or had been getting away with with. Uh, a little bit in our carries and our clean outs um, which looked amazing against Wales but um, we weren't carrying quite as aggressively um, as we had been against Wales and and the French were much more I thought aggressive and physical in the contact and then they were over the ball faster and we weren't quite as accurate as we could be so it meant we were having slower ball and then all the consequences that come with having slower ball we also then did revert a little bit to, to type in that all of a sudden I started seeing some of our players standing in that triangle, super flat outside the nine, taking the ball, standing still and then running into some absolute French monster uh, where they're most comfortable outside um, um, the first zone outside the rook. So that happened. And I think, Andrew, that happened because they were a bit shocked by the physicality in the first instance. And then there was a realisation, which I think was well-founded, that if they get turned over, um, um, if they don't carry the ball into the rook correctly, they might get turned over. If they are slightly off in the, in the uh, clear, they might get turned over. If they get turned over this team can score a try immediately or there'll be, you know, there'll be 50, 60 metres down the field. It's a, it could be a real disaster and it's very hard to come back into a game um, against France because we know how difficult it is to score against them, the top team. So where there was a comfort in Wales, so everybody felt, okay, listen, if I'm not quite right, we can get back into this game. If I make a mistake, we can get back into the game. If, I, if I'm a little bit soft in the carry, then I won't be. Um, I won't be. It won't be exploited. That wasn't the case, and you could see it was. It became more anxiety-ridden all the way through that first half as it dawned on them uh, how difficult it was going to be. Now the problem for me is that ninety percent. I would. I would say ninety percent of Ireland's games, they won't come across teams like France. So when you're trying to build a gameplay that will work against Wales. And there's no disrespect to them. They're just not as good. Wales or Italy uh, or Scotland, I think. Um, how do you practice playing against a team like France or South Africa or New Zealand? It's very, very hard. So, you know, you can have a game plan. And I think they went in with the same similar game plan. And we saw some of the same moves, but they weren't executed as well because they were playing against a team that was just better. Johnny, you were there to see this uh, up close. So what was it like? I mean, are, are we overplaying this physical dominance that France had? Oh. Uh, uh, we aren't. And in that case, what could Ireland have done to deal with it better? 
uh, it's weird. So for our generation, we played against Wasps, we played against the Ospreys, we played against Wales when they had a blitz defense. So you had solutions on the field strategically or tactically to combat a blitz D. That's how South Africa won the World Cup in 2007, built on massive blitz defense, Habana flying in your face, intercepting, and then kick chase. That's how they won. So when I was with Fabian Galtier in Montpellier, that was all he talked about. And that was how he defended. And when you're part of that team, you're taught to ignore everything outside the 50-meter channel, be compact, fly as hard as you can, and obliterate everything. So there's very little thought. It's just the athletes can we get, the physicality we can show. You line up on the outside shoulder, man on man, and you go as hard as you can. And there's very little you can do to combat it. But weirdly, when you played against the Ospreys in the noughties or you played against Wasps, there are certain things that you can do or certain three-quarter line phase play moves that you can do like with ball behind then pop back inside and try and isolate and split defenders like Trimble have done it with Ulster many a time but there's all these but people have forgotten and there was no problem solving on the field from Ireland there was no there was no messages clearly that came on and said lads we can't do what we did against Wales last week we have to fix this and operate differently so for whatever reason those messages didn't get in but Shaggy's right you don't prepare to play against blitz defences and he said 90% it'd be 99 I can't think of any other teams in the Premiership Top 14 URC that defend that way, and therefore they've been caught cold. But it's not like it's new. France defend. You think about them winning in Cardiff in 2020 into Mac inter- intercepts scores under the post. They blitzed against New Zealand. It was almost like there wasn't thought to well, actually potentially they might do this. So we have to have some things up of our up our sleeve. But from playing with that D in Montpellier. I can tell you when you get that upper hand time and time again in phase play and you have, you bank those little wins, it's impossible for the attack. And it's impossible. Again, like we saw, they, they blitz from first phase. You've got Villiers, Fiku and all these boys blitzing up. And again, you look sheepish and tentative. There was no decision-making or, or passes given because you've got 50-50s, you've got people in between defenders and it's really hard. But what that means is, again, you get man and ball, you get chucked on the deck that ruck gets competed. It takes five seconds to get the ball out. And then as the forward pack, you've come from a line out or from scrum. You're five meters behind the game line. Your scrum half says, right, lads, go and generate quick ball. It's impossible. But that's it. You then have to be smart on how you flick it back on them, how you kick. And I, I get weirdly, Scotland did it quite well to go back to Scotland two years ago when they beat them at Murrayfield, where it was all cross-field kicks, competitive kicking, refusing to play on the game line because you can't outpower a blitz D. So you have to be really cute with how you play against blitz defense. And that was the little bit that surprised me that there wasn't something in the armory from Ireland or the ability to problem solve on the hoof and say, right, we're going to have to switch things. And again, you mentioned there were three tries scored, but how those three tries were scored, again, are freakish. Like mm-hmm. Jamina doesn't, very French, he doesn't jump to catch a kickoff receipt straight under the sticks. Like how often do we see that? Never. Second try again, Valimse doesn't stick it at guard, he drifts out nine show and go under the post. So there are chinks in the French team, don't get me wrong, but they're odds on favorite for a reason. They started with Italy, they got the easiest run in fixture wise. But I think it's disappointing for Ireland that they caught them this early in the tournament and other teams will have better prep and they'll have more images to look at and see different ways they can try and break down this French team would be my take. But it was just incredible to be in the stadium, 80,000 people going absolutely bananas, mm. celebrating all the small wins, celebrating the small scrum victories even, and just showing that level of physicality. And again, last week, and I'm the first, this Irish team on the ball, best in the world. Multi-phase, forwards, backs, linking, being able to play to space, shift the point of contact, phenomenal. But that's it. When you play against a blitz defence and you don't get it right, anybody can come unstuck. And that's unfortunately what happened to the Irish boys at the weekend. Just to build on something Johnny said there, uh, Ireland are unlucky that they've played France too early before they've got to see it and maybe got a little bit more insight or analysis into that. But also everybody else early in the competition have found out how to deal with this Irish attack and phase play. They've just said, that's the blueprint. Now that's not easy. Johnny, you're saying not that many teams have done it really well like that and it's a full kind of culture shift you can't just learn that in a week but you could pick up a few tips a few cues around how to just shake this Irish uh, phase play and I think that's going to probably catch Ireland out as well that's it exactly and that's what concerns me Shane is you would have flagged this for us Um, Mike Prendergast on the show last week told us almost exactly how the French were going to target Ireland's phase play Paul O'Connor would have known exactly how they were going to target our breakdown and in the first 20 minutes, we had several examples where it was, must have been clear to the players that what we did against Wales wasn't going to work against France. And yet with all that information, 
we didn't really adapt. And I just worry this is the new Andy Farrell game plan's first sort of metaphorical punch in the face. And we didn't cope very well. I don't think we thought our way through the game. Now, we did eventually in the second half, but arguably by then, France sort of had the mental upper hand. Yeah, and remember, our expectation needs to be different um, against the very, very top side. So there was no way, and this is why I think it's a missed opportunity. The, there was no chance that Ireland were going to have a performance like they did against Wales, against this French team. That just wasn't going to happen. So, you know, disregard that. Everything that we did almost against Wales, you know, worked. We didn't finish it off, so we didn't. We could have put, you know, even more on them. We didn't quite finish it off. But every time we did a loop play, you know, it worked pretty much. Every time we took a, ca- a carry, we got over the gain line. Our rook speed was ridiculously um, fast. And an example of that is we used exactly the same move in Wales and against Wales and against France and had quite, you know, significantly different outcomes. It was the one... Uh, that is uh, uh, the line out where you have the two triangles. So the, the hooker passes to the nine, actually, who who, who is in a little triangle with the uh, first centre and then loops around. And then you've got ring rows and full back coming short to make up another um, uh, triangle. And then you've got it goes back to 10, goes to the blindside wing and then ultimately goes out to Conway. We did the same move. We, our passing wasn't quite right. We weren't quite as flat as we could have been. Their line speed was up. So we came in a channel closer um, or, or further away from the open uh, touchline than we should have been. They plowed numbers in. We weren't quite accurate on the breakdown. Against Wales, that breakdown was less than half a second. It was so fast and we were ready to go again. This time, they poured two men into it. Slow, 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 eventually turned over. So... You know, we are d- d- facing two things, a better defence, more physical, and the anxiety that we've had that we've said because of those two things means that we weren't quite as accurate and relaxed in delivering and executing what we wanted to do. So, um, you know, the, you know the, the, but remember, that should be kind of our expectation that we don't cut up the team every single time. And there is an element of having to sort of hold your fire and stay in the game and wait yeah. for the opportunity that will yeah. arrive. Because what we've seen is there's no team can deliver that for 80 minutes, you know, and no, and there will be a time when it's, you know, when they're inaccurate or they're tired or, you know, they, they just don't get it right. And that's when you have to be ready to pounce. And in fairness to Ireland, even though despite not having a very good at first half at all, they were in that position. And that's the key. That's the key to beating these teams. When presented with the opportunity, do you take it? And they they fail to. Because yeah, we did scrap our way back into it ultimately. And Andrew, like Shane was saying on TV, he really felt at that moment when we had the chance to kick to the corner, we were six points down. We had three tries on the board at that stage. So if we gotten a try, we would got a four try bonus point. It would have taken us to within one or maybe one ahead if we got the conversion. We were, I think, finally on top in some way tactically but definitely physically at that stage Joey Carberry looked way more relaxed than he'd done before and our phase play was finally working and then we got that penalty and it felt like the chance to really you know put finally put some pressure on France and make them think about losing the game and then we opted to kick three points brought us to within three and then we never really got another chance what would you have done at that stage of the game if you were a player and say you were captain what would you have done because there was quite a confab before and there was four or five players all standing around thinking about it I would have asked. I would have said, "Rory, what, Johnny, what, what should we do here, lads? <laughs> somebody, somebody, make this decision." <laughs> I know. Please, Johnny, just grab this ball, please. Um, it's really difficult to be honest. I think whenever we're looking at this in hindsight, or be fair, you know. Now, how did you feel we'll at the time? Hindsight. At, the, at the time, exactly. That's that's at the, the time. The, the big thing is. So, it, what what minute was this, Simon? It was pretty. It was, what's uh, eighty? It was around, it was around seventy-two. Yeah. So it was around. It was, there was like eight or nine minutes there's, to go. There's a yeah. big, like the, the the psychological gain that you get from getting those three points and then all of a sudden, you know, the uh, you've been able to change the impact of the outcome of the game from a penalty. Them having to defend differently. They were offside all day, by the way. They would have had to be less offside, just be a little bit more tentative there. And then just being 
you know having the opportunity to to score win the game from a try one one score game that's massive right but i think that's outweighed by the fact that we've got five minutes left in the game and they kicked us we have to receive on our 22 we've got the full length of the pitch to go to put them under pressure again and it felt it just looked like that took its toll so it's that that's what i felt I, it was only afterwards I, I was kind of thinking about it what is it that felt like we just didn't we didn't like you know that three points should have been three points and then the opportunity to put them under pressure for another three points that pressure never happened because they kicked long and it was just scrappy i think we box kicked straight out then they got the the line out off that and all of a sudden we're under pressure and then that three points that we got was irrelevant so long-winded answer here i think in hindsight you think the three points were irrelevant the three anyway points they didn't feel relevant to me at all in fact it energized france i thought our three points energized france because of the decision yeah we were sat next to the RTE box and us being, that was with BBC Five Live with Tommy Bullock. Microphones, were, we were screaming, go to the corner. Yeah. <laughs> but they clearly, but again, the, the context and the timing and the and the why, like for me, it was so hard for you to achieve gain line and put them under pressure until the last 20 minutes of the game. So you, like you could count on one hand the amount of visits you guys had to the 22. So you're like, you're down there, your mall's working well, you've got them under pressure, the referee's spoken to them already. It just seemed like a, if you didn't get down there and win the game there, I didn't think you were going to get another chance. That, that was our honest gut. We were just like, you haven't been there often, so get down there and, and, and try. It, it um, might have felt a little bit like what we were talking about there. Shaggy, you brought up, like, just hang in, hang in the game. It might have felt like that was still our mindset and our mindset should have shifted from don't hang in the game, take this game. I think that's probably a turning point. That's a point great we point. Didn't, yeah. uh, we didn't change our mindset at the right time. Well, it was interesting when we were, I was in studio for it and, um, you know, I said at the time, I think we need to go for, for touch here because of momentum and for actually all the reasons that, that Johnny um, um, put forward there, the fact of how difficult it was to, or was going to be to get up to, um, to that area of the field again. Um uh, and Rob Carney was no listen. Go for go for the. We should take the points here. Sort of categorical on it. And he's you know thinking behind it was France are going to give this away here. He thought they're going to get sloppy and do something stupid, and they're going to we might get a penalty or make a you know two penalties run up the field and we're in in a position, which. You know, and I'm looking through his sort of you know eyes and the teams that he's played against in France. That kind of made made, made sense as well. But two things: one, I think this French team are different. They're more hardened. Uh, they're more resilient. Um, and secondly, we played the next whatever was left six minutes appallingly badly, really, really badly. And when I talk about missed opportunity, that's where it is. Like we we handed it back, like. I, you, you understand poor decision making you know can come about from um, fatigue but there was poor decision after poor decision and the idea to kick the sort of the up and under ball you know right in the last play of the game was was bonkers you know really kind of I don't know what that mindset is what you're doing there is you're just throwing I'm going to roll the dice here and it's not the same type of you know kick as Sexton did a few years ago the cross kick to um, Keith Earls which sort of unlocked that um, um, the opportunity for the drop goal that was a smart calculated exacting play this was a hoof up in the air let's see if hopefully something comes down on it it was poor, really 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 not smart play and there was a good few of them in the you know, preceding uh, five minutes also sorry just to add to that the mindset about they're going to give it away I think in the entire game they gave away either six or seven penalties like there was no penalty count. you know like you mentioned they may be offside all game it looks like that with Blitz D but actually on paper statistically they were actually good they were disciplined yeah, we, we were um, the ones giving away penalties which is yeah, unusual because you yeah. were forced under pressure because they had that massive defensive line and they put you under pressure so you're forced to make errors but that was it maybe he's thinking more stereotypes they'll give it away but actually in the mm. game live what was actually happening was they were performing well and they were disciplined with it so again for me it was and, go to the corner but it's easy when you're yeah and, and you're right Owen that, or was it a time that made the point that um, that shifted taking the three actually shifted the pressure off them you know the pressure was. Building. I think they would have been delighted with that decision. Yeah, the yeah. pressure, the pressure was building up, and and you're thinking, right, we're you know what six points behind. We get with a try here, 
and and we're gone. You know, we then have to you know go all the way, um, um, you know, up the field and, and get a penalty or score a try, whatever it is. Um, whereas, you know, you get you you give away three. Or we've got you, you're kind of thinking oh, we've only got it. We've got out of here with only three. We're still three points up. We can, you know, kick deep into the um, into the into the opposition twenty-two, and let's see if they get out. We just keep the defensive line, and they'll make the mistake. So, you know, that's the kind of you know that's the more modern thinking about what the opportunity is. But if they had gone to the corner, having already given away a try from a rolling mall, and actually the the second try coming from a, a line out deep in their territory as well, that's when the panic comes on, and that's when you do make a mistake. And hang on a second, they make a mistake. In that area, well, you know, maybe it's a maybe it's a yellow card. You know, then you've got you know, or if they don't score directly off the the line out, you know, it costs you a try potentially. But if it's not, maybe it's um, a series of penalties, a yellow card. You know, that pressure build and build and build, which is immediately alleviated by the three points and the pressure is back on Ireland then to get up the field. And we saw that pressure in their decision making in the next five minutes. And interestingly, I'm not sure if you watched your under twenties game. But that's yeah. exactly how they won with the last play of the game in Exxon mm. Provence on Friday night. The exact same game, a France blitz defence, but your mall for the 20s was fantastic. And skipper down in Exxon Provence points to the corner and they, they go over and win the game in, in the third, fourth minute of injury time. So again, small decisions and fine margins, but um, it, for me, it was definitely doable. And just that's it. It's like decision making at the end, a, a different choice and it goes a different way. Andrew, what did you make of the performance of Joey Carberry? Because he wasn't perfect. As Shane said on TV, he dithered a few times. He delayed it with his decision-making. But I thought he got better as the second half went on, which is really encouraging for him and for Ireland. Um, he made very few like big errors. He had the lovely kick across, obviously, for Mack Hansen. Another one for Conway that Conway got knocked into touch. Uh, kicked all his goals. I thought he started to pass a little wider and got ring rolls into the game in the second half. Um, and all the while... I think it's worth taking into account, A, how little game time he's had, particularly with Ireland. The fact that I thought Gibson Park and Murray had poor games inside him. I thought Bundy had one of his worst games for a long time outside him. And his pack was being outmatched. So with all that happened around him, Carberry managed to keep his head, looked super cool. Yeah, on the surface of it, um, it you look at the, the, the quarterback, the guy who's, who's arranging all the phase play in charge of where you go, our patterns, everything, all the calling system. And... We looked nowhere near. <clears throat> we looked nowhere near the same side that we that we um, or the same performance that we we put out there against Wales. But you bring in all that context and you bring in the physicality and the defence and as you say, performances inside and outside, not winning collisions, and then that that kind of contextualizes what he brought to to the game. It's very very difficult to be objective there, Joey. I think. Um, but I was thinking about uh, during our, our last episode last week. I was thinking about his first performance for Ireland, and he looks like just a confident young fella who just knows how good he is knows how talented he is he went out I think his first game was uh, in Chicago 2016 his first touch of the ball was a long pass to to Jared maybe at 15 in his own half effortless thoughtless just went out there just like a really talented uh, performer and just threw this pass as, as if it was nothing he's playing to win the game against the All Blacks first time Ireland ever get the chance to win the All Blacks and it never even occurred to him and it looks like he's just become a little bit more mature kind of just weary you know a couple of injuries and a lot of scrutiny around scrutiny around his performance looked like i think he looks like a guy who just doesn't play with that same freedom but i agree as the game went on he looked like he just relaxed he got used to it a bit more and we saw a little bit more of the you know you saw a little bit more footwork he was happy to take on the def- defenders occasionally um so it's brilliant for us the big picture us building towards the world cup we are way better off with joey carberry having that experience and growing into it a little bit and who knows what that'll do for him in the future if he gets more opportunities he'll hopefully pick up where he left off um but um the i mean johnny sexton would not have let us get in that position of uh, getting the three points receiving the ball and exiting that badly and playing that badly when you're trying to win games so there's definitely there's it's not he's not johnny sexton i'm not saying he's going to turn into johnny sexton but he can turn into the best version of himself that's going to maybe do as better a job as possible but certainly when it came down to that last five minutes our face play wasn't good all the way through the game, but that in the context of the French defence and then the way we it got to those championship minutes and those big decisions, I think Johnny Sexton would have made better decisions. But that's not a surprise. I don't think he, I mean, and I'll come back to that in a minute, but I don't think, and nor should we expect him to be, um, Joey Carby to be the best version of himself either. I, I thought he looked someone that was light on game time, 
you know light on uh, experience at this level um sort of fell into um a little what i i would think are really poor habits for um for fly halves um it's something that they do when pressure comes on that they take the ball a little bit deeper um when the ball was slow and particularly i found him he was dropping in behind the rook and then having a kick from there which was completely telegraphed there was no up you know there was no possibility of him doing anything else um and um so he, he was quite readable um in his in his depth um uh, you know, he was very deep for kicks, but also you know relatively deep from phase play as well, which is something that you know shouldn't be part of his game and and wasn't. He was a little bit lateral, not too bad, but but a little bit lateral. And as I was watching it, I was thinking about the interview that we did, the analysis we did a couple of weeks ago with with uh, Jerry Flannery, and um, two things he was talking about. Uh, Marcus Smith one his ability to bounce outside the zone in a, in a, in a you know in a really effective way and you know challenge attackers outside oh, so explain I, that very briefly bounce so so you know the way he he, he carries you know he can be what looks like a little bit lateral uh, Marcus Smith because just you know he's got the player in front of him and that's the player that's meant to tackle him but actually he bounces out to the player outside him but still retains um, still still retains um, straightness enough to hold the inside as well, which is very difficult. He did it actually a couple of times against Italy, where um, there was two tries, very poor defending by the Italian wing. But because he's he's he'd taken up that position quite late and got there, he 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 caught the eye of the winger, and then the pass beat him twice. The pass beat the winger twice. So there's that. I think Joey wasn't doing that. He was doing going a little bit laterally. But much more than that, the one thing I, I notice most, which again is something that was a little bit concerning, is his his transition for what he was doing, his passing from from when he took the ball to actually getting it into someone else's hands was quite slow. Um, whereas when Jerry was talking about Marcus Smith, he was saying how quickly he either drops the ball on his foot, he passes, gets it through his hands to somebody else, or ducks, you know sticks it under his arm and and is able to make a break. I felt that. Um, um, Joey was quite slow in transitioning the ball from when he receives it to getting it into somebody else's hands. It was a bit too methodical, too ponderous with that, and it ate up a lot of the space for those outside him. So, you know, maybe there's a concern of him. I just want to make sure that pass gets into the right space. But at this level, against a team like France, your your decision making has to be faster, and your execution of skill has to be faster. Um, and yeah, it, it it is something that he needs to work on, and it was you know light, light and day between him and, and someone like Marcus Smith. Johnny, it's nice to hear an outsider's view on Joey Carberry, a player we t- we we have had high hopes for. What did you make of his performance? Again, I think if you take the wider context, you're thrown in the deep end against something that you haven't played against before. Would be the other. You're obviously going to go tentative and more into your shell, trying to organise a team that's playing into and being beaten up by blitz defence. I think that plays a massive part as well. So you'd be you'd be right to be taking more depth or but again quality of pass and speed has to get out quicker to give your middle pod in the middle of the field a chance to not get man and ball every time and allow them to have a second pass or but in general they look swallowed up by a blitz defense would be my general and not the again the difference would be if Johnny was on the field with his experience would he have been able to change something or bring something out of the bag or bring the players around them and say, look, they're blitzing, therefore we're doing this. Mm. And it just looked like there wasn't a problem solving on the hoof on the pitch for me. And that's not a dig at Joey because I don't know Joey, but the group of players on the field and the leadership group around him, nothing really changed. And you sort of continue to run into a brick wall. And that for me is normal that he would then look sheepish or tentative or deeper as a result of his team being beaten up up front. Um, But yeah, the difference with me, if there was different personnel around him or if Johnny was there, would they have done things differently? Um, but certainly as France, tire, as France tired towards the 60, they looked much more en- energised last 20, 25 minutes because there were more space and confidence grew. But the first half just smothered, I guess. Some positives, the likes, uh, I mean, Mac Hansen, we barely mentioned. Just the, I, think, the, I think we our clawback was down to Mac Hansen. I don't think we would have come back from 22. You mean just nil. from the, the try? The try, uh, yeah. Gen- yeah, like incredible piece of opportunism, whatever you want to call it. Call it. I know Johnny said earlier it was freakish, Andrew, um, which it was, but it was still brilliantly done by him. And he's been amazing. Ring Rose had his moments. 
Um, Dan Sheen, Sheen, holds, yeah. Sheen holding up um, holding up Jaminet for that try you know there, there were a few there, there were some good things I just know basically I want to put Shane in a good mood by the end of this conversation Andrew so I'm trying yeah, to accentuate but those, those, those elements they were they were freakish and they weren't planned and it was almost like Johnny kind of touched on this a little bit but the three tries that Ireland scored they didn't really they didn't build any of them all obviously but uh, Jimson Gibson Park just went through there was no plan no we didn't catch anybody out trick anybody in the defence they, it's just that natural that 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 best defense you will make mistakes if you continue just to to get into the space and just kind of read where you anticipate the ball is going to be so that that french defense is vulnerable from that perspective but through no work of our own jimison park just find himself gibson park just find himself in a space and score a try out of nothing hansen's try is ridiculous an incredible bit of skill didn't even break stride and we all just went oh all right happy days we're back in this game we can just write off the first 15 minutes whatever it is when we were just getting a hide in the whole game um so it, it threw us a lifeline but none of that i don't think was down down to us and i just think that's why we, uh, that's a reflection of we sh- we didn't we never got to grips with the defense we never had we, it just didn't look like we had a trick up our sleeve Shaggy, you said there they did the same the same play that they did against Wales. Why are they doing the same play against a team that defend completely different? Did they yeah. just like the play? Why? I just don't. If Johnny had been the one executing that play, I just think I don't think he would have done that. It, you don't just play, yeah. do a play because you but like a play. You, you can do the same as you say. You can do the same play, but not take all the same options. You know that's that why why they would have practiced that play all week. Um, and they're not doing it because you know, or they shouldn't be doing it because that's the way we're going to get around um, the team the same way as we did last time. You've got within that play, you've got, I would say, honestly, I'm not joking. There's probably about ten different options that you could take through mm. there. Um, Isn't that the point of those plays, Shane? That there is sort of seven, eight, yeah. nine, ten options off it. So you can show the same picture to, yeah. to the opposition. They defend it based on the picture that they've seen you, uh, you know, deliver against Wales, but then because there's a different defensive system you know you choose the different options so so you know that that's the point there and, and you're right trims that felt a little bit more um you know play by numbers which was exactly the opposite to what we saw against wales i thought i was so buoyed and by the way i'm, I'm generally optimistic about the way ireland are playing i was so buoyed by the their ability to make decisions on the run that were the right decisions and the last day and not just going through a pre-ordained or pre-agreed way of um, attacking and and again that point that same move that they used against Wales um, with the quick rook ball um, that ball goes out to a pot of forwards and Bundyaki is in behind now the option is to give that to Bundy and go you go back out you go wide again but against Wales they didn't because Wales were panicking uh, because they'd just been got ran on the outside because of two balls in behind so they're looking through the line to defend and so what did they do they gave a short to van der Fleer who went straight up the gut and with a 30 metre run so that's really smart play but Ireland were unable to do that and think in that way, think that clearly because of the anxiety that came with playing against this d- different type of team in France. And my, then the final point about this type of play, I think was um, really clearly shown in, in the way uh, Jebson Gibson Park was playing in the first half and how quickly we saw him move the ball straight to the 10 channel or to that first receiver channel against Wales and in the autumn he was much, much, much more ponderous this time round. Now, I know there was lots of slow ball. Discount that. I'm talking about even when Ireland had fast ball, it, he he pondered a moment longer than he did against Wales. Definitely. All of which kind of... I was watching it, Johnny, thinking if we were to face France in Paris in a couple of years in a World Cup game and you were there, so you kind of got the feel of it. Given how freakish our tries were, given how much they generally dominated phase play, France, and worked us out, I think their coaches worked us out big time, could you ever see us beating them in it when the atmosphere would be even better, when France would be feeling even better about themselves winning a World Cup game against France in a quarterfinal? Of course. I mean, there's so much water to go under a bridge and so many learnings to be taken from it. I don't think Ireland would approach a game against France anywhere near in the same way that they approached Saturday. Um, and you talk about those multi-option phase play with lots of... Against France, they, they don't care what's happening in the 50 metres. So your multi-option and your wraps, it doesn't matter. They're there to demolish whatever you set up in the midfield. So if I were to play again, you would do 12 up. You take the middle of the field, you'd split their defense, and then you'd try and play them. And if it didn't work, you would take in behind. Like 
you just there's more than one way to win a game of rugby and the coaches will take the learnings from it as well as will the players the, the question that I was going to throw back about those multi-phase or multi-option starter plays would be obviously when you're on the field and it's your first choice at 10 in a long time and you've got direction from a coaching staff Johnny's been there for 100 years he might be like this isn't working let's rip it up let's do this Whereas if you're Joey and it's your first start in a very long time in a high pressure environment in the Six Nations, you go with what you've been told to do. So it's, I, I don't think you would approach the game in the same way at all, but I think there's lots of different variables that would have helped you in the game if your decision-making had been slightly better. But if you play France again in two years' time at the World Cup, I don't think the way you approach the game or your strategy will be anything like the way you played on Saturday, simply because there's almost a refusal. Not a few, but there is. You have to almost refuse taking them on at the game line because with a blitz defence, there's no point. What, what's the point in sending Furlong and these boys up into Antonio, like huge collisions, it's great for us as fans and as neutrals, you're like, like the spectacle's amazing, but you don't generate go forward. You're not going to running into Walkie, Aldrit and Jalonch. So you have to find different ways. That, to- is a, that is such a good point. That is such a good point. And you know what reminds me, again, you know, <laughs> so rugby players are so selfish, they always bring it back to your own <laughs> experiences. But we lost uh, uh, Leinster um, towards the sort of end of my career a number of times to Ospreys um, and I, I think a couple of times in finals. And it was because, not entirely, but a lot of it was down to we played a certain way and they played a certain way, and we we said we will we will trump them in the way we play, and instead, what we were doing was going into exactly the, the type of attack that was good for them. You know, they set up the trap, and we jumped into it every time. Instead, you know, you do have to look at that sort of different way to play. So the kicking game does become more important. Now, it doesn't mean you abandon your atta- uh, overall attacking philosophy it doesn't and that comes in later and it's and actually it probably comes in earlier if you keep on turning them around um, because the, the, def- the way they defend will have to change but you do need to get, make them to, um, have to get them to make that change unless you're someone like South Africa and you said I actually don't care we'll just smash 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 and keep on going and then they also kick as well um, but the opportunity and I said it at half time the opportunity was to kick the ball off the pitch against this uh, French side because all right, our line-out wasn't great, but their attacking line-out was really poor. It looked really, really shaky. I know I know the stats say I think they only lost three, but it just it didn't look as joined up as it should have been. So there is nothing wrong with kicking the ball off the field um, uh, into touch and giving the opposition a, a, a go at getting out. Johnny, I can't let you away without asking you about events between Wales and Scotland. What happened to your really, boys? We could just gloss over it. it doesn't, <laughs> we don't have to go <laughs> Oh, I think just big moments again. Um, oh, we haven't won there since 2002. Um, and you go down to Principality, these boys have been there as well. It's a hell of a place to play rugby. Um, but there's no doubt that like that Welsh team isn't a Welsh team that's firing, but they found a way to grind it out. And Scotland had plenty of opportunity, but in big moments, they were not accurate enough. Uh, didn't clean properly, gave away penalties, coughed up ball. And it's a sort of story that's repeating itself. Um, there are positives to be taken. Again, Darcy Graham was fantastic. Love watching him play. Um, but just as a team, not clinical, um, a little bit toothless in moments, which was disappointing, especially after that. Again, now looking back, it's a bit of a smash and grab against England with that little ball. Do you deserve the win? Um, but we did. And you just wanted them to go down and back it up and dream a little bit further. Um, but it wasn't to be. Um, so, yeah. Big moments, didn't quite convert. We coughed up possession and penalties and again, really tight score. I think last year in Six Nations, we lost to Ireland by two or three, Wales by two or three after going away and winning in England and France for the first time in I don't know how many years. Um, And this year, it's the other way around. So disappointing. Uh, I know Gregor will be really disappointed Um, and some of the key performances, you just thought if you got a strangle and a foothold in the game, you could have squashed it, but another very narrow loss um, and a non-conversion of chances. Uh, Andrew, it's a, it was another good game. I mean, it feels like this championship is bubbling along nicely, at least. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're all, we're all just frustrated or whatever it is by Scotland. And uh, I, last week against England, they, in the balance, they probably just about deserved it, but, but only just, it wasn't the Scottish performance that we've seen 
to England and France over the last couple of years and really getting their game up to that level where they're hard to hard to cope with and the face play looks amazing. It wasn't that, but the fact that they were able to grind it out, thought, oh, I was going, okay, well, maybe this is a mature Scottish team that know how to kind of get, get you know, that sort of game across the line. And then if that's what you're thinking, if that's what you're, um, if that's what the hypothesis is, then that, that gets challenged whenever you go to, to, to Wales and Cardiff because uh, they know how to do that better than anyone. So uh, I think we're all frustrated with Scotland, but we're not surprised because it's, it's, so, it's so Scottish, frustratingly. Why, why do I care about Scotland so much? Mm, <laughs> I think we all do. You've brainwashed all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that. But, but you know, them, you know, them performing this championship makes the championship better as well. Um, and I also, you know, think there have been so many junctures just like this one at the weekend um, in the last few years for Wales where you thought, if they win this game, it, it's it's a massive stepping stone. It's a, it's a milestone and it'll, it will allow them to have m- more performances like it and therefore make the Six Nations better um, and, um, uh, you know, and add to all their enjoyment. Um and and also to you know they were the last team with with the chance of you know winning uh, the Grand Slam so you're keeping that momentum going as well so incredibly frustrating the way they performed you know at this stage it's it's stereotypical to say that it's you know they they played in a stereotypical way and and they their their result was was a stereotype so you know we can't go into that anymore the only thing I would say is sometimes we discount um, the opposition and Wales were massively hurting from. The um the result the previous week and sort of I think they're just the general talk around Wales and they did what I thought they would do and they sort of reduced their game plan you know even further were unbelievably aggressive and unbelievably committed and if you look at Dan Bigger who's you know has now over a hundred caps if you saw his reaction after the game it was so joyful he was so pumped for this game which you know you have 100 caps this is a game against Scotland in his you know what is it he's got over 10 seasons they're not going to win the championship this year it's not really that pivotal a game it's the second week of the, of the Six Nations and he is unbelievably pumped by it on the sideline like screaming and chest beating because it matters so much and Six Nations matters so much to everyone every single game so that's why you get performances like that because there's a there's a professional pride and there's a pride in yourself and and there's a so, you know there's also sort of a challenge to your manhood as well that you go right I'm not you know we are not lying down here everybody's writing us off yeah aren't Scotland great they're coming down they're you know they're you know saying they're the best team in a generation and but they've never beaten us you know they've beaten us they haven't beaten us in you know twenty years down in, in the principality so listen we're going to stand up to that and they did you know and they did and. Um, um, Wales are back <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason why it annoys us so much and why we wanted Scotland I certainly wanted Scotland to win is you want the narrative to change a bit you know they can beat the great teams and then they fall down when they should be winning the games they should win and all that and you want them to take that next step and see if they can become a force and you also want to see them get a run of wins so that you see a Scottish team with genuine confidence not this still flaky confidence that they have and see how good they could be but then the reality is also that they can easily bounce back. And Johnny, I just feel like the championship is still alive and that France could do, or sorry, Scotland could certainly do Ireland a favour and England a favour and beat the French. They could easily go and beat the French. Well, that, in the last two Six Nations meeting, they, they've beaten them. They beat them in 2020 in Edinburgh. They beat them last year in Paris as well. Um, and again, it was we talked about different ways to win games, but in 2020, it was Adam Hastings. It wasn't even Finn Russell that started at 10. And it was pure strategy. It was cross-field kicks. It was kicking the ball off the park. It was refusal to play. But we won. We also wound up the tight head, Mohamed Hwas, who's a big hothead, got him sent off. Like all these things helped. But it, tactically, it was well played. Last year, again, in the pissing rain, like really good masterclass lineup time by Grant Gilchrist. So look, France are on an absolute high. They're as good as we've seen them in 10 years. But there are still chinks in their armor and ways that you can get around the way they play and challenge them. Um, and, and that for Gregor, like I see Gregor as a terrific coach. He is the best coach. This is the best crop of players we've had in a long time, but still falling short because you're up against bigger pools of players, more provinces, more clubs and bigger playing numbers. That is the the honest reality of, of what we're doing. Um, Gregor's coming like 90 blokes to pick from. 
Like it's, it's really not that big a pool of players. Um, and I think what he gets out of that group is actually really good when you consider statistically what we have, but we're still yeah, falling the down. The only thing I'd say about that, Johnny, is that makes sense if you don't think there's enough good players to beat um, the other teams. And um, I think the group that Scotland have at the moment and you know, self-confessed as well, I think it's the best group that they've had in a very long time. So I think that's less of an issue. That it, listen, that's a bigger, you know, longer term, um, you know, sort of ongoing issue that you know, Scotland have to, have to fight against. But at the moment, that group of, within that group of 90 players that he has to pick from, there's a cohort that is good enough to beat that Welsh team, beyond doubt. Johnny, great stuff. Shane, brilliant. Andrew, excellent. Enjoyed the chat. Thanks a million. Cheers, Thanks guys. Cheers, fellas. Beetroot soup. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh, yeah? It was incredible. And you know what I'm going to have today? More soup. Half an hour to make a soup. And then they have cans of soup. Half an hour, 10 siblings. What does it look like? A turtle, is it? Soup. Nobody had any soup to start with. Nobody had any puddings to finish with. Soup. That's better than a brick because you can't throw a brick. It's too heavy. Soup. But a can of soup, you can really put some power into that, right? Soup. It's incredible. And you have people coming over with bags of soup. Big bags of soup. Soup. The Six Nations took most of the attention at the weekend and the All-Ireland Club Finals in the GA were up against it in terms of trying to get some attention. But <laughs> they gave it a rattle. Both the football and the hurling decided with a goal at the death. Kilku looked like they were goosed in the football. Two points down against Kamuka Crokes. We'll hear that commentary later in this clip. But first, it's Ballygunner in exactly the same position against Ballyhale and the hurling. Two points down and with only seconds remaining on the clock. Inside the 45, Cochran tries to get his hand on it. But they win it back. Ian Kenny, he's been outstanding today. Gives it to Paddy Levy. He too has done himself proud. And he wins the ball. Great play by Levy. Levy scoops it to Peter Hogan. What can they do? The time is against them. But is the scoreboard against them? Ball goes on inside. Harry Ruddle in space. Inside the D. What's Harry going to do? Takes his shot. Oh! Oh! Harry Ruddle! <laughs> Number 17 on his back. Will that back be framed out Jack Beats tonight? That jersey could be framed. It deserves to be framed. As Darrell Sullivan, that's the jig. Is it all over? Is the last puck in the game? Oh my God! Write his name down. You will forget it. James O'Connor goes on his knees. Benny Gunner, an Ireland champion, 2022. Sheila Johnston. Oh wow, amazing commentary all around there. Brian Tyres on TG Carr in the football saying the word Johnson a lot because there were three <laughs> brothers involved in that goal scored by Jerome. Peak All-Ireland Club Championship right there. Johnson to Johnson to Johnson goal. And the amazing WLR commentary of Ballygunners winning the hurling. That was Kieran O'Connor doing the play-by-play and some lunatic laughing along beside him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was... Who was that? Owen Murphy. Okay, sorry, I couldn't. It was hard to make out the voice. You oh know? well, I mean, oh. there was it was just guttural noises from Owen Murphy, but Amazing. I think it still added quite a bit to the whole clip. I think. Oh, that's that, that's all you want in that moment. I love also, you know, what's Harry going to do if what's Harry going to do is not already printed on T-shirts and being worn around Waterford, Murphy? Mm. There's got to be. I'd say there weren't many people wearing T-shirts for large portions <laughs> of the last two days of Ballygutter, to be honest. Yeah, um, but it was. I mean, a couple of things really about this. First of all. It's just so totally different when a game is won with a goal in the last minute as opposed to, you know, a point taking it from a draw to a victory. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like it's punch for punch and, you know, at the end, whoever is leading, fair enough. The goal at the end, I mean, it's, it's actually really rare to see a goal being scored like right at the death to flip a result like that. Now... The, the crazy thing about the hurling was that Ballyhale had done the exact same thing to St. Thomas's to, with a TJ Reid free in the last second to right. win the semi-final. Yeah. Uh, Ballyhale had also gotten a goal against St. Rhinos of Offaly in, in the uh, earlier rounds of the Leinster Club Championship, but that was a goal to take it from three points out. Rhinos had them beaten. 
and they got a goal in the in the last second. Uh, Sixty five goes into the square. They uh, knock a goal in. And they take it extra time and win it in extra time. So, uh, Ballyhill had lived on the edge of the precipice for the entire run to the club final, but then to lose it like that, you know, we, when you're talking about a team that's going for a three, a COVID interrupted three in a row, uh, a team just like steeped with winners, ju- you're just guaranteed that they're going to close it out in a like a ruthlessly Kilkenny-ish professional way, and for them to get caught with a sucker punch like that, it was just so extraordinary, like genuinely extraordinary to see it. And that was at like, whatever that was, half four or quarter past four. And then three hours later, the exact same thing, thing happens in the same stadium uh, after like it, clock going into the red in extra time of the football final. And I mean, you know, Kilku, if you'd watched the two football club semifinals, you were pretty sure that it was going to be pretty dire stuff. And it was pretty dire stuff, to be honest. Kilmer could go in six points up, I think, at half time. You really think in a game that isn't going to be very high scoring, that's a lead that you can't lose. Uh, and I'm sure there are people in the in Crooks still wondering how two Johnsons managed to find so much space uh, five or six yards out from the Kilmacud goal in the last second. But, you know, Kilku have been there thereabouts for the last few years. It's a brilliant story for their manager, Mickey Moran, as well. He's won county titles everywhere he's gone. He's been a manager with Donegal, with Mayo, with Leitrim. But he never won his All-Ireland before last Saturday. And then him getting dragged up to lift the trophy, that was an absolutely brilliant moment as well. Yeah, so. there, are a lot, there are a lot of good clips going on, even mm. full-time. He, he, you know, it's exactly the kind of corny stuff you want at the end of something like this. He, he waves away all the congratulations and makes a beeline for the Croaks manager, Robbie Brennan. And mm. it seems like a properly uh, respectful, genuine hug and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So that's, as much as it pains me to say it, Murph, yes. in both these cases, what makes it even probably better from the point of view of the narrative is the team that most people wanted to win <laughs> won with the last minute goals as opposed Listen. to it being Kilku and Ballyhale mm. uh, or Kilku and Ballygunner should say ahead and then losing. Yeah, well, listen, you know, it takes a big man to say that, Owen. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I thank you for saying that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like Kilku are the most popular team in the world because, you know, you know, listen, they win how they win and it's amazing that a club that small can go and win the Ireland Championship. So that's really if, what I mean. Yeah, you've, yeah got, if, you've got one of these ones against the, the a club the size of Croaks, and certainly Ballyhale Shamrocks getting taken down by Ballygunner. I presume that's got to be the neutrals. Yeah, choice. well, you know, and again, like Ballygunner is a pretty big club, and they've dominated Watford hurling. So it's it had kind of been coming for them. It's not like it's not like Caltra winning in two thousand. You know, like a real genuine tiny club coming from nowhere to win their All Ireland club. Both of them have are well seasoned at the sort of the the business end of the Ireland Club Championships, but yeah, I mean it's new winners is always brilliant, you know. Um, and when you're talking about clubs the size of Ballyhale and Kilmacud, you're pretty sure they'll be like they'll be back if not like on finals day next year, they'll be back in the business end before too long. So it's still heartbreaking, and it is just it's such an amazing day every single year the club finals day. They do, to be fair, very seldom. It's 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 very that both games are a total washout, yeah. um, and what we got, even though the games were actually they weren't brilliant games, they weren't you know absorbing all the way through, but the finish, the finishes on in both were just crazy. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank, thank you, Owen. Thank, thank you, Owen. Ken. Thanks, thanks, Kieran. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you uh, later on. Thanks, man. It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 